Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. As always, the goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business or your life to the next level. Today, my guest is another Victoria, Victoria Pelletier. She is a 20 plus year corporate executive and board director. She is currently a managing director at Accenture, nicknamed the turnaround queen by former colleagues and employers Victoria inspires and empowers her teammates in leading psychological turnarounds, which are as much about changing mindsets as it is about restoring growing revenues and profitability. She engenders respect through transparency and open communications, putting in place structures that encourage collaboration and decision-making in shaping a better future. Victoria was recognized as a top 50 business leader in technology by Insight Magazine in 2021 and a mentor of the year by Women in Communications and Technology in 2020. HSBC Bank awarded her the Diversity and Inclusion an Innovation Award in 2019, and she was IBM's number one global social seller, ranked by LinkedIn in 2019 and 2020. Our theme for today is going to be Women in Leadership, which is always a great theme for me. Please welcome Victoria Pelletier. Hello, happy to be here. Thank you. So happy to have you. We always start out with an easy question before we get into the meat of things. And that is just to tell everyone what part of the country do you call home? I call Miami Beach, Florida home. Uh, I'm one of those people that escaped New York and COVID because I could. Yes. Everybody loves Miami now, I swear. (laughs) That's right. So talk to us about your corporate leadership and executive journey and the career and life lessons. And go ahead, start as early as college, because I think that's interesting. Uh, Well, um, I'm sorry that the bio was so long. Apologies for that. But when I hear that I'm, you know, this 20 plus career, (laughs) Vicky makes me feel very old, I, I have to tell you, and it's actually, it spans much longer than that. So I started working at 11. So I'll skip to college, but I I did start working at 11 and was promoted even into a leadership role in my teenage years. And while I was in college, I worked at a bank. My um, aspirations was to be a corporate lawyer. 
But while I was working in the bank, I got promoted within six months into leadership capacity there. And when I graduated and was about to take a year off before going to law school, they relocated me cross country for one month assignment and ultimately offered me a um, a permanent role in a more senior capacity. And so mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to move to the big city. And uh, if I love it, I will stay there and go to law school. Otherwise, I'll you know go back to where I grew up. And I did neither of those things. Turns <laughs> out I loved the corporate world. And I truly loved, one, the transformation uh, in um, the work that I was doing and also the leadership mm-hmm. side of things. Right. And so I've stayed in the corporate world ever since. was with the bank for many six years or so. Mm-hmm. And I got recruited out to be the chief operating officer for a large business process outsourcing organization or BPO for short. Because I'd been leading contact center operations within oh, wow. two banks, mm-hmm. uh, and the all the, so it was a fairly large stretch role for me at 24, a new mother at that point, uh, who'd only really been in operations to all of a sudden lead most functional areas of that organization, <laughs> except for sales and finance, uh, was a big stretch. But mm-hmm. I had the banking experience and I had the contact center experience, and that was sort of my foray then into the world of business to business and professional services, where I've stayed the majority of my career ever since. Mm-hmm. And I just love the complexity that comes with serving, you know, a corporate client and then either their customers or their employee base. Yeah. Uh, and in um, senior, you know, uh, uh, increasingly more senior roles, um, ultimately until actually I've been a part of 18 mergers and acquisitions within the organizations I've worked for. One of them was m- mine personally. I acquired a company and was the CEO of a data and analytics company before I, uh, sold that business and then ultimately went to IBM and now Accenture. And I also sit on boards and I'm an author and uh, you mentioned my speaking work. I I do a ton of public speaking. That's a a big part of what brings me a lot of joy. So that's a bit about me. Awesome. So what are you seeing as it relates to the workforce of the future now after people are starting to uh, come back to the offices and work is is getting to be a a little bit more normal well so first of all i've started stop saying the future of work because the reality is the future (laughs) is here and it is now and so a multitude of things and i i i can't say i love the um you know social media headlines right now around the great resignation the great rethink quiet quitting quiet firing all of those sorts of things what really it is is that people have had the opportunity to evaluate mm-hmm. um the work the meaningful type of work that they would like to do you know working for organizations and in roles that bring purpose and have impact and align to values with a great set of le- leaders to work work mm-hmm. with and for and culture. And I'm a big believer that culture is the outcome of certainly mm-hmm. policies and procedures, but really the leadership, mm-hmm. the actions, language, and behavior. And so we've seen that amplified much more so. So there's a more the employees are many of them are not wanting to go back to bricks and mortar right. physical workspaces, certainly not on a full-time basis. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's not an option for certain types of roles in industries, right. manufacturing and those types of things. But for those where we've been able to be very productive working from home, they're looking mm-hmm. for fully remote still or hybrid yeah. models. But again, you know, much more focused on creating stronger boundaries between work and life, even though we stare into one another's homes, oftentimes as we're on these conference calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, having work that's 
aligned to values and purpose. And again, mm-hmm. the right kind of culture and environment, one where they feel like they belong. So diversity, equity, inclusion has become significantly more important as well. Mm-hmm. And then I would also say that the, there's a big focus on um, there's no such thing as job security, but mm-hmm. um, the, the way to be more secure in roles and particularly the younger generation is looking for development in employees. And that means making sure that their skills stay relevant for today and for future as digital transformation grows, changes in new products and in services. So that that's become a really big focus as well. Yeah. I think it also has to be somewhat of a, a calling to the businesses, the owners, the, the managers that you can't take your people for granted any longer. You know, you've got to really, when you get them, You've, you've got to make sure there there is that culture that is one that aligns with what they um, need and, and want. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think there's this, um, you know, competition for talent, certainly, mm-hmm. you know, unemployment rates are, you know, the lowest they've been in decades, same with immigration coming in. So therefore, you know, they, I think went from three and a quarter percent to 3.75%, um, you know, over the over the last number of months, but still very low rates. So mm-hmm. employers cannot be taking um, advantage of their employees in a way, I shouldn't say take advantage, they, they just shouldn't be expecting that loyalty is going to be inherent, and mm-hmm. they cannot build the right kind of leaders and 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 have the right kind of environment for the for employees going forward. I think too as leaders we also need to understand and and in a lot of cases be trained, taught, advised on how to really effectively have remote employees that that do um, a job that they are proud of, that they are fulfilled in. And that um, and building that sense of trust that used to not be there whenever we talked about remote employers or employees. Yeah, I agree. I was actually hosting um, an HR executive Mm roundtable earlier this week. And what was really interesting is the topic was supposed to be much more around productivity and how do you how do you manage in this remote environment? And it quickly shifted actually to exactly where you were going, Vicky, around the need to educate the leaders on how to manage very differently. And when you look at, see, I work for Accenture and I just heard that, uh, this morning we had sort of a, you know, town hall, you know, we're just two months into our fiscal year, mm-hmm. 50% of Accenture employees have been hired since the pandemic began. Yeah. Right. So we all onboarded during this time. And yeah. so you think about the people who've moved up and either hired into or were promoted into leadership roles, they need to be taught how to lead in a very different way than mm-hmm. they were used to in the past. Yeah. And it, it's all about timing and everything, but I know the company that I came from, which is very familiar with Accenture, uh, UPS, we had several years from 2015 on where we were reorganizing. And so a lot of us retired in 2018 and 2017. And so you had these new people that were trying to find their way and then the pandemic hit and now you have more new people. And so, uh, you know, I'm back there as a contractor for project management because they need people that have some history, some understanding to be able to train and work with these young folks. Yeah, exactly. So please talk about how, you have overcome significant obstacles to achieve the success that you've got so far. 
I I wouldn't have talked about this um, many years ago, but I made a shift at some point when I spent more and more of my time coaching and mentoring others mm-hmm. and sharing some of my both professional and, and personal lessons, you know, the things I wish that my 20 year old self knew. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, that is the fact that I did overcome significant adversity in my, and trauma in my youth, quite frankly, mm-hmm. you know, I think of Simon Sinek's start with why. And if, for me, that's a big part of just the, the amazingness and richness of having like diverse, employees and communities is yeah. that we all bring something very different to the mm-hmm. table. And so for me, I started to share my story because I wanted people to understand why I am so, and was almost always so driven, particularly professionally. Mm-hmm. So I'm born to a drug addicted teenage mother who is extremely abusive to me. And I was in and out of care. And ultimately I ended up being adopted out of that by, you know, you know, two parents who who love me very much, but socioeconomically, um, you know, couldn't have, I never went on vacations and never could, you know, have mm-hmm. went on school trips. You know, my mom was a secretary, my, my dad, a school janitor. And so I remember my mother telling me, you know, pro- probably 10 or 11 years old. I remember she said, Tori, you have to do better than us. And she never needed to utter those words to me because mm-hmm. I had was determined to yeah. be better than my biology or the circumstance. Mm -hmm. And for me, there was, I wouldn't say I always had a healthy level of resilience. I built walls around me to protect myself, you know, fear of um, rejection um, and loss and failure. And Mm -hmm. the one thing I felt I could control was work, you know, my ability to perform, to learn new skills, to stay incredibly relevant, to perform in my work ethic. And so that's why I was, and my parents also didn't have a lot of money, which is why I started working at such a young age, but I quickly learned that again, I could control that. And it was an area that I excelled at. And so I, I at some point needed to shift, however, because, you know, the walls I put up and uh, a little bit of imposter syndrome that, you know, 24 year old yeah. self who stepped into the COO role, who, which was a step stretch role for me, um, needed to lean into things that made me uncomfortable and to team members around me. And as the only woman, by the way, I'm at yeah. the boardroom table in that particular role and the youngest by at least two decades, uh, I would walk in, you know, and be all business all the time. And, you know, we know that people do business with people they like and they trust and therefore they want to do business with. And I, I had nicknames that you know, like the Iron Maiden, um, you know, now I was very, and I am still very good at having the tough conversations and leading, you know, performance, you know, conversations, mm-hmm. those 18 mergers and acquisitions I've been through will come with significant change, but I didn't take time to show the vulnerability and build yeah. the kind of relationships that I wanted. So I had to relearn uh, mm-hmm. how to, you know, develop a, he- a healthier level of resilience. And there were few steps in that. And so incredible self-reflection around why am I feeling the emotions and why am I acting the way I am? And then secondly, then once I understand that model, the actions, the behavior language that, you know, I, I want, um, you know, to, to, to change or to be, yeah. and then giving myself, you know, permission to fail <laughs> with that, getting, pulling myself back up because adversity and challenges are going to happen, but get back up and focus on the goal or objective that I have set for myself. Uh, And then also the things that made me really uncomfortable. um, And that was being vulnerable. That was telling my story and sharing it with others. So they 
understood that not only did I sympathize with them, I had deep empathy for many people in terms of their lived experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, that that's where my mantra of being unstoppable, I have, I saw in social media posts with that or with hashtag no excuses. And it's because I believe we have choice mm-hmm. and not that we shouldn't feel emotion. I'm like, my best friend calls me turtle. You know, I've got a tough exterior who can handle a lot, but I'm truly all marshmallow inside. Like I cry at the Humane Society commercials when they come up. So, um, so being comfortable showing that, but also, you know, delivering well for work, um, building these really deep connections with people from a place of, of genuine, you know, care, compassion, uh, but also being focused on, 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 you know, delivering results for the business. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's what I found over the years too. And I've been working a whole lot longer than you, but the, (laughs) the, the ability to lead with your heart, your head and your hand is, is what I kind of teach. I think that allowing people to see you and understand you allows them to trust you and to share with you. And when you can do that, then when you ask more of them, they're willing to give it. And, uh, and so I, I can appreciate you move, moving from the Iron Maiden to where you are today. <laughs> yes. Whenever we as women talk about leadership and, um, and the imposter syndrome always does come in, but Talk to me about personal brand and is there um, key elements of, of why that is so important and how do we get started with that? Yeah, I attribute my you know career success to a number of things. And so certainly resilience and that unstoppable attitude in work ethic for sure, but personal branding and by extension, the development of a really strong network mm-hmm. is another one of those things. And personal brand is more than your job title and the company that you work for. I remember when I was at uh, IBM, they talked about eminence uh, and building, you know, strong eminence. And I'm like, well, let's extend that beyond that into think more holistically around personal brand, because eminence is the subject matter expertise for which you are known, right? You might've gone to school and received credentials. You are known to be a subject matter expert in something, But we are more than that. As I said, people do business with people they like, they trust, and they want to do business Mm -hmm. with. So your personal brand needs to represent our whole self. Yeah. So those are things like our values, our interests, our passions, the way we build connection with people. Mm -hmm. And also I think of, you know, particularly for, for people who are in leadership or whether you're in a sales capacity and you're out there and trying to attract new clients or employees, it's also about the values and integrity and, you know, who, who you are as an individual. Mm-hmm. So, and it can change and evolve over time, by the way. So, you know, my Iron Maiden, it was a, it became a conscious effort to change that narrative. I, uh, you know, so what I'll tell people is you're the CEO of Brand Deal, right? You yeah, for sure. curate and develop the narrative that you want, you know, people, and it, it's not fake. It needs to be real. But you, and so for me, I had to pivot and, and do act and behave in, in, in different ways, but also show up in very d- different ways, both in person and online in building that presence. But also it's your unique value proposition. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm you know, coaching someone right now who does a lot of coaching to others. And I've said to her, like, what makes you different than the million other like executive coaches right. out there? 
why are they going to choose to work with you versus another? And so then that goes back to this, you know, this element mm-hmm. of building connection, sharing our lived experience, telling stories, but also talking about the values and the things that are of interest to us to build connection. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to, you know, yes, get crisp on, you know, that what you're good at, your subject matter expertise and the experience you've had doing it. But telling that whole story of who you are as an individual and why someone would want to engage and work for or work with you. Yeah. And and I think that's something that you have to be reflective about and and don't think, well, you know, I'm too young or I'm too old to do that. As you said, we continue to reinvent ourselves as the situations unfold in front of us. And um and who you were yesterday does not define who you have to be tomorrow, for sure. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> we talked about this a bit, but relationship-based selling, mm. what exactly does that mean? And what are the benefits of doing th- this? And exactly how are, how should you go about to do it? So for, we just talked about brand and I said mm-hmm. network is an extension of that. So critically yeah. important is to have established your brand as you're then starting to go and develop relationships. You, you know, uh, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to say the phrase again, people do business with people they like and they trust and want exactly. to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think it's critically important. We're not, you know, certainly for me, most of my career has now been in professional services. Mm-hmm. We're selling to corporate clients services for to operate their business or to offer new products, services, or better experience to their employees or their own customers. And there's a multitude of competitors they could choose. And so building trusted relationships mm-hmm. with, with buyers is key yes. because ultimately it could just come down price. And that's, you know, there's this, you know, saying, and this certainly helped when I was at IBM, let no one gets fired for hiring IBM. And that's the brand of the organization and the longevity of the organization. But there's a multitude of choice now. Mm. And so people buy from people and the ability to understand uh, the, the, the person you're building a relationship with their needs, not just selling widgets, is critically important. Yeah. But a lot of newer salespeople or or people who haven't learned that relationship um, based selling approach just walk in for the you know cold sale. I don't know, you know, how many of your listeners will get a, a LinkedIn invitation and someone immediately goes in, you know, for a cold sale. Like, right. It's like you don't know me. You 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 might not actually even know exactly what my role is. And you certainly haven't established whether I have a need for what you're looking to sell, mm-hmm. let alone just established a, a relationship. But of course, there's quarterly and annual results to deliver and sales numbers we need to achieve. So people take a shortcut, but this is long tail. You know, they say, um, you know, it takes, you know, time to develop this. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I want people to understand is like, if you're going to do this, like you, you can't have expectations that it's going to turn overnight, but it's also why I say you need to develop the relationships, you know, um, in in a time and place when you don't need them. So it's there for you when you do, whether that's looking for a job or if you're in the same industry or field and can always be developing those relationships, even if they're maybe not your current target buyer mm-hmm. today, but they could be later. So there's a big part of being intentional, yet also still organic in terms of building that network. 
Yeah. And I think one of the things that I love about the the podcast is that I get to meet a, a lot of wonderful people and that and I'm not asking anything of you. But at some point in time, someone that I connect with may need what you have or I might need what you have. And so it, it's as you said, you have to build that relationship and it should just be a mutual thing to just one person getting to know another person and, and building from that. Yeah, exactly. It's time now for rapid fire. Uh, we have five questions here. We're going to talk about first is best tip you received as you progressed in leadership. It was a leader that I had once who told me that it was okay to be vulnerable. And this was years after the iron maiden comment. <laughs> um, and, and, and it's funny because I thought I'd been doing a really good job at it. Yeah. And he said that to me and that caused me to reflect. So I think that's yeah. good. And it was well before Brene Brown, by the way. <laughs> uh, were there any moments of doubt or how many, <laughs> I guess, how many moments of doubt have you had as, you know, at, at, as you walk into that boardroom or that meeting and you're surrounded by people that are two decades older than you. So there had to have been moments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right, Vicki. I've had moments of doubt. And you know, that first executive role was one one for me. I, I I'm not even sure like I, how I, you know, developed the confidence to walk in there and just completely lean into because as I said, it was such a stretch role for me. Mm. But I but I did learn very quickly. Like I, I needed to lean into the people on my team who knew functional areas for which I didn't have experience yet and get comfortable and also say, hey, I don't know what I don't know. I'll learn, yeah. I'll find the right people and I'll bring them to the table. Um, and I think it was confidence in in that kind of delivery that helped. So that would be one. And then you know, there's been moments, um, two other times I'd say I had big moments of doubt. One is on the personal front. I made a decision to leave my first marriage after 11 years and my children mm -hmm. were five and nine at the time. Um, but that was a need to do for me um, mm -hmm. what I, um, I I thought was necessary in terms of achieving the relationship and, you know, type of love and life that I was looking for, but incredibly hard and somewhat related a few years later, unfortunately, my, my ex and I, um, and I while divorced, um, my ex passed away from second bout of cancer. Mm -hmm. And I made a decision to change um, companies and cut back countries. So I'm, I'm actually originally from Canada. And so I had a residence in Toronto, but worked in New York, and uh, would go back and forth. But I traveled 80% of the time. And mm -hmm. I quit a job that I loved uh, because one, I don't have any family. And so my children had lost a parent and it was just me now. Um, mm -hmm. But that was the right time to make the decision for them. So this whole notion of like, can you have all the things, all the, like everything all at once? Well, no, sometimes there's some trade-offs you're going to make. And that was one that I did. And there weren't doubts in terms of my rationale and reason for doing it. It was for my children. Um, but in terms of what stood next for me career-wise um, was a big moment. And I, I live in no regrets with that, yeah. but in the moment I felt it. Sure. Life, life-changing decisions always will yeah. cause that. So if you could give the women who are out there listening, any advice about they're in a career or a, a part of their life where they think they want to make a change, but they're just 
afraid to do so? What advice would you give them? Life is short. We just talked a little bit around my personal, like life can be short. There is no time like the present. Now I'm not saying don't, don't plan and have, I I'm used to being the primary earner, um, in, um, my two marriages. And, and so therefore I'm always pretty cautious about what that means. So I'll make a plan, but lean into that fear, lean into the discomfort because, mm-hmm. you know, without that discomfort, mm-hmm. like new doors are not going to open. Mm-hmm. So I That's would right. tell them, knock on those doors now, lean into the things that make you really uncomfortable, uh, but with the solid plan and people around you who are going to support you. Yeah. That's when you grow. So what is next on your journey? You, you um, talked a little bit about you were in Canada. Now you're not in Canada. So um, what's next? Yeah, no, I, I've been in and out of the, the U.S. Um, since 2006, but I'm a permanent resident here. So I'm stay, staying here in the U.S. Next for me will be, um, and I don't know how many um, of your listeners might be from Accenture, but um, I, I plan to leave professional services at some point and go back to being a client. So I will go back to being the COO or CEO uh, of a client organization. Um, rather than being on the other side, supporting them. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that'll be one. And then ultimately the plan, my my husband jokes that I'm never going to retire, probably true, because it's not really (laughs) my DNA. But and then at some point after I go and do that, you know, that back to a CEO job, uh, I'll ultimately retire in quotations to what's called a portfolio career, where I'll sit on a multitude of boards. Um, I do plan on writing um, another book. And I'm going to continue the public speaking that I do, but and hopefully on larger and larger stages. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a lot in common. We too, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My husband doesn't think I understand the word uh, retire, <laughs> but it's what I love. All right. I'm going to share my screen. So this is for everyone that is listening to go ahead and grab pencil paper so you can get Victoria's contact information. So her website is her name, victoria-p-e-l-l-e-t-i-e-r.com. Again, that's victoria-p-e-l-l-e-t-i-e-r.com. She's on Facebook. She's on LinkedIn. She's on Instagram. She's on YouTube. She's on Twitter. And she also has a uh, some resources for you. So I'll let you talk to them about what you have on your website. Yeah, absolutely. So I publish a ton of content. I write for Forbes and a lot of other media and appear on television pretty regularly. So if you hit my website, you're going to find a ton of content about some of the things we've spoken about today or on the future of work or the future is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, leadership, culture, diversity, inclusion, personal branding. So find mm-hmm. all of that there as well as uh, my book, Unstoppable. And um, you have some pretty good things out there on YouTube too. So check out YouTube for um, Victoria. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure today. You shared a ton of great insights and thank you for sharing your story. It it just really, as you said, helps to make that, to begin the relationship, even if it is a virtual relationship, so we can understand more about what you can do for us, as well as help us to grow as the leaders that we all are searching to become and to be confident understanding that it is okay if you have imposter syndrome 
it's just a phase and you'll you'll get through it until you start something new and then you'll have it again. <laughs> As always, um, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nettling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nettling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.